right, we are back in full effect. Detroit is different podcast studios. As always, I am here with somebody that has been supportive of Detroit is different for a while as one of the locations where we podcast outside of the podcast studios where we are now is Detroit Sip right on West McNichols. And it is owned by the young lady I'm talking to right now, Giovanna. Giovanna, how do you feel? I'm well. How are you? Everything is everything, as they say. So let's get a little bit into your Detroit story. And we're talking Detroit Sip as well. Um, whereabouts are you from? Uh, how, how, how far back is your Detroit story? Are you a first generation Detroiter, second generation Detroiter? Uh, what's, what's your Detroit story? Second generation Detroiter, born and raised, been here my entire life with the exception of going away to school. Okay. All right. So your mom and dad, uh, if you're second generation, both of them here, your your parents both from Detroit as well? My mom was from the east side of Detroit. My father was from River Rouge. Okay. All right. East side. East side. Whereabouts? Oh, 94 in Van Dyke area. Oh, that's that's Kettering. Yes. That's like the Kettering neighborhood. Yes. Okay. The K-E. K-E. All right. Um, growing up over there, did you like visit? Uh, do you have a lot of family over there on the east side? Are they still in that area? No. no okay. No more connections to the east side. Okay. All right. What did your mom say about growing up over that way? What did she remember? Um, she was friends with a lot of boys, uh, mm-hmm. and they looked out for her. Not really friends with women or okay. girls. So those stories were always about. Um, how close they were and how protective the guys were of the women and the girls on their block. Okay, your dad, River Rouge and that like that down river connection. It's a lot of like that Inkster, River Rouge, those folks kind of like uh, it's a different comeuppance around that area. Um, what did your dad say about growing up in that uh, era when he grew up? Well, and it's still like that now, but everyone knew everyone by their last names. So we were fudges, mm-hmm. and um, that's how you refer to all of the neighbors because they all lived in close proximity to each other mm-hmm. uh, over near the, the projects. And I remember him saying that. And even now when I run into people, once I say my last name, they'll say, oh, you're related to the Prices or the Rices. And, you know, they grew up in Visker. And so that's really, it was very close knit. That's Mm -hmm. what I remember most. Yeah, different type of community. Uh, What work were your parents into when you were coming up? My mom was a stay-at-home mom and Mm -hmm. my father was a plumber for the city of Detroit. Hmm. Okay. All right, so your father worked in the city. Like, was that uh, 80s Detroit, 70s Detroit, 90s Detroit? When did he start working for the city? Um, As long as I can remember. I was born in 77. Um, I don't know of a time when he did not work for the wastewater treatment plant. Mm-hmm. And he worked there until 2004 when he retired. Okay. All right, what uh, is this been a lot of changes since that era, but he was uh, working with the city during the Coleman era as well. So oh, yes. <laughs> what was uh, what was your dad's takes on being like a city employee then? And definitely a lot of changes have happened now. Um, he loved it. I never um, heard him complain once about having to go to work. My father was a provider, so he worked all the time with mm-hmm. zero complaints. Um Obviously, it was enough for us to sustain my mom being a stay-at-home mom. Uh, we were middle class. I never felt like I that we didn't have enough money to do anything. I never felt slighted at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, neighborhood, where did you grow up? 
Oh, West Side. So I grew up on Trinity um, between seven and eight mile. Okay, so they made the move to a whole new community. They were like, look at these people. They're not from around here. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, was it like one of those neighborhoods over here? It's kind of my neighborhood, but uh, it was a lot of kids and everything like that. Was it a lot of uh, kids and like uh, people your age uh, to play with? W- what do you remember about that in your childhood? There were kids almost in every house on the block. That's what yeah. I remember. Um, my sister's four years older than I am. So the ages ranged, but there were children in every house that I could recall. Okay. Um, still, so like uh, playing outside, What were, were you one of those kids? Did you play outside all the time? Were you an inside kid? What What was your childhood? If, if I met, I don't know, nine-year-old Giovanna, would you be like, all right, I want to stay in the house and play with some toys, or I want to go outside and play hide-go-seek. What what was going on? No, I grew up in the era where we were outside, and if you kept running in and out, you were threatened with having to stay inside. Uh-huh. Um, so I didn't do it, but uh, my friends used to use the bathroom outside behind the house because everyone was afraid that they would um, have to be have to be made to stay inside of the house if you kept running in and out. You got thirsty, you drank water out of the water hose because you didn't want to go in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to come home by the time the street lights were on. We used to have lemonade stands outside, and people used to actually stop by and buy lemonade from us for like a nickel. Okay, was it good lemonade or was it like Kool-Aid with a bunch of sugar? Kool-Aid with a bunch of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> it was like they were just supporting the kid. Yes, supporting the kid. <laughs> and and did, did you all get fancy and like put like, this is yellow and purple together? Yeah, no, I don't remember us doing that. I remember us keeping it basic and being out there selling it or giving it away to our um, male person. I remember her name. Her name was Susie. Hmm. Um, But, yeah, it was a very close-knit block. We're still friends to this day. Yes, I I definitely don't think that uh, male people are getting Kool-Aid from the children in the community today. Yeah, and to that be is honest, not happening. I would not probably drink um, something. Said, said Kool-Aid, said child's Kool-Aid. Yeah, I would not probably. We just live in a different day and age. I, um, I, I don't, I don't think I would ever do that. Okay, so, so growing up, you, you mentioned your sister, uh, brothers and sisters. Are you youngest, oldest? I am the youngest, one of two. Okay, all right. So, did you? Uh, was your big sister? Um, like always kind of mama you as well or was it more so you all were friends what was it like growing up from that perspective she was like Raj and I was D from what's happening <laughs> <laughs> you was telling I'm yes. telling mama oh. I was the do-gooder oh. I was the tattletale oh. I was the thorn in her side oh. um, it's only after we became adults that she began <laughs> to like me <laughs> Was snitching. Like, yes, I oh. was. Yes, I was. <laughs> Hilarious. That's immediately what I think of when I think you said D. Yes, that <laughs> was me. Was <laughs> <laughs> what what schools did you go to? I went to McKinney Elementary. Mm-hmm. I went to Taft Middle School and Renaissance High School. Okay. Renaissance. Renaissance was not that far from you guys either. So mm-hmm. So what was Renaissance like as is uh the new school? That was the old Renaissance and everything. What what yes. do you remember about Renaissance uh in that era? Not wanting to go. 
I wanted to go to my neighborhood high school, which was Henry Ford, where mm-hmm. all my friends went. That's where my sister went. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents were not having it. Okay, they were like, mm-mm, yeah, yeah, mm, no, you're mm. not going there. And I really didn't you will understand. Not be a Trojan. Why. Yes, <laughs> I cried the first two weeks, and my father finally said, "That's it, let her go." And when with him giving in so easily, it made me sit back and think, "Well, no, maybe I shouldn't do that." And it was reverse psychology, so it worked. Mm. And I, I stayed there, and I my best friends I met there. Okay. All right. Now that culture, uh, there Renaissance, um, especially like the old building and, and the start of what, what was, uh, cause Renaissance being a school of, of choices, they would say in academic excellence, uh, was the, the opening of it was something big, like how DSA was something of fame. Renaissance was something of, academic excellence what do you remember the courses being difficult the the teachers laying a lot of homework on you what what do you remember in your renaissance journey it was hard um i never really had to apply myself or study and getting there and being surrounded by um, people that had very strong work ethics and just highly intelligent Mm-hmm. The atmosphere was very competitive, um, but infectious. Like it made me want to to do better because of the competitive spirit that I have in me. Um, so I found it to be a challenge, but it made me step up to the game. And if you didn't, you had to leave. You couldn't stay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in it that uh, that work ethic, are any of the teachers teachers that you remember that stood out that kind of made an impression on you? Mr. Payne, our ninth grade English um, teacher, I've actually, I've not seen him in a couple of years, but I ran into him um, when Farmer Jack, when it was still Farmer Jack on mm-hmm. Livernoy and Seven Mile. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very, um, the way he taught us English and our vocabulary, I didn't understand it at the time, but I still use words that he taught us in the mm-hmm. way in which he taught us, like charlatan. Like, well, what does that mean? And it's like, Charlotte has a tan, so she's fake. You know, like those Hilarious. those ways of... Um, Charlotte has a tan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just Sounds all, like a funny, funny teacher he, right there. Yeah, he just kind of broke it down to our language, and, um, you know, we had fun. So he was one, uh, Miss Bridges, she was our uh, science teacher. She took on more of the mother role with us. Mm-hmm. Um there were several teachers, but um, those two stand out immediately in my mind. Okay. And developing that work ethic for studying, uh, did you develop the, uh, a study habit and, and uh, like, pre- did it prepare you for higher education as you've definitely taken on some school? It did, actually, um, because it taught you to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, by that age, my parents weren't checking my homework and nothing to um, take any credit away from them. But that was work that they really couldn't help me with. Um, mm-hmm. So I was either had to rely on the teachers or I had to kind of figure it out myself. And it made me be uh, more self-sufficient. So absolutely, it prepared us for the next level. Okay. And you mentioned your neighborhood school, Henry Ford, which is a whole different type of culture. Uh and your sister went there. Did you notice 
some differences even then of the difference between what some of your friends were doing from Henry Ford versus what you were doing there at Renaissance? They seem to have less homework or more able to engage in more of a social life than I was able to. Um, and part of it was I, I'm still, even now, I'm very shy. So for me, um, I just kind of stayed in my, my own world. I didn't venture out and go to all of the, you know, the homecomings or all of the basketball games. We didn't have a football team at that time. Mm -hmm. So there weren't football games to go to, but it just seemed a little more um, social. And the fact that she went to her neighborhood school, so her school friends lived within close proximity, whereas as at Renaissance, people came from all over the city, so your friends may not necessarily live near you. So the walking to school together or walking home together or, you know, half days, everybody going to McDonald's or Bob's Pizza at that time, um, that really didn't exist for us at Renaissance. Okay. And you mentioned just that, that social dynamic. You didn't go to homecoming. Did you ever go to one of your homecomings? I went to one. Just one? <laughs> just one out of four. Okay, one out of four. Was mm -hmm. it uh, Was it just the fact that that wasn't your thing or you just didn't feel comfortable with everybody there was it uh I think it was kind of both I mm -hmm. I looked at it like man this is kind of lame I don't I don't want to go but mm -hmm. I did go once because I wanted to have the experience okay um, but yeah it wasn't really anything I desired to do okay did you go like uh coupled up or did you just go solo I went solo, and actually, my dad was a chaperone. <laughs> Ain't that something? That's I signed cool. him up for it, though. I signed him up. He he didn't impose, um, but it was a part of a class that I was in that our we put the on the homecoming. So okay. we needed chaperones. I signed my dad up. So that was your senior year. I'm guessing if you were in a class like that. No, I was on punishment my senior year. I couldn't go. <laughs> mm, okay, well, that that explains that explains some. So on past high school. Uh, where did where did your journey take you after high school? Uh, Michigan State. I State. went to Michigan State for uh, undergrad. Go Sp Green. Sparty on. Sparty on. Uh, Michigan State. Uh, why did you choose East Lansing? My dad always wanted to go there, and he couldn't afford it at the time when he graduated from high school. So mm -hmm. growing up, that's all we ever heard was Michigan State. He hated Michigan. Okay. So um, I just went there in an effort again to make my parents proud. So your dad was like an Andre Risen fan. Yes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Going even further back, Magic Johnson. Uh, 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 a Too Tall Jones fan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was probably like a kid watching Too Tall Jones. <laughs> but, okay. All right. So... Um, with with that campus, East Lansing is a lot different than the culture here in Detroit. What was that adjustment like for you? It was the first time I ever actually experienced racism. Hmm. Um, being here in Detroit, we were the majority. And although even on our block, we had um, a couple white families that lived there, race really wasn't an issue. It wasn't anything that we talked about. So to hmm. go to Michigan State... Um, and experience that, that was an eye-opener for me. Hmm. Uh, in what ways? In what ways did you see it or did you face it? Uh, what do you remember? Well, two situations in particular. Once I was in the library doing research, 
and I'd ask the librarian because this was during the time of microfiche and card catalogs. You mm-hmm. couldn't just go online the Dewey to find decimal your... system. <laughs> yes. Back in the day. You could not it just. It is not Google. <laughs> no the Google. Dewey, no yeah, Wikipedia. The Dewey decimal system is something that most people don't know about. Yeah, not at all. So I remember asking her where something was located, and she said, well, you're going to have to look up Negro Afro-American, African-American, black, because you people can't decide what you want to be called. Wow. Um, wow. And as an wow. 18-year-old, I Yeah, really I was going to say, know, how did you even respond to that? I, I just kind of walked away um, because I didn't know. I, I walked away empty-handed. I just completely left the library. I didn't know how to respond to that. Mm. Um, it was really shocking to me. And the next uh, experience, well, actually – actually had two more in that um, I was in James Madison College. So we were with the same students quite often and we were having a class discussion about ghettos. Mm -hmm. And there was a white student and she um, was from Frankenmuth. And Mm -hmm. she asked about ghettos and then looked directly at me and directed her question to me. And I just said to her, well, why would you think I know anything about a ghetto? I've never been to one either. Mm -hmm. And it was just her presumption that just because I'm black and I'm from Detroit that I grew up struggling or lived in and there's nothing wrong with that but that wasn't my story so Mm -hmm. for her to automatically assume that um, was shocking to me and it got pretty tense and the teacher just dismissed the class that class session was over for the day Mm. Mm. ain't that something so facing that and being a person that you say like you're more to yourself but still being able to uh, have the reserve to speak up in that situation. Uh, did did you feel out of place speaking up or was it just one of those things that it's, I, I'm going to have to say something in this matter? Yeah, not at all. I felt like I needed to say something um, because if I didn't, she'd never know. And neither would the rest of the class. Uh, so I saw it as an opportunity to stand up, not just for myself, but for the city of Detroit is not, what people were perceiving it to be mm-hmm. so what what era are we is this like uh mid 90s early 90s late 90s what what era uh, of detroit are we talking to from the perspective of like uh what people maybe even having thoughts about detroit this was um 1996 1997 okay so like mid 90s so yes. we're still in an era where the ideas of uh of where things are still should be progressive, but many of the people aren't necessarily there. Correct. Uh, and their, your connections with people on campus and campus life, uh, what, what did you enjoy about that? What did you enjoy about your state experience? Um, I like the, the class sizes. They were pretty small with the exception of a few um, prerequisites. Uh, Our classes were in our dorm, so we didn't have a lot. I didn't have to travel the campus. So Mm -hmm. it actually made Michigan State smaller than what it really is because of the major that I had. Um, Our sports teams were good. Um, You know, I had friends that had come from Renaissance, so we had a really close uh, relationship, and I met some amazing people that I'm still friends with to this day. the dorm life, we had lo- lots of fun. I didn't really go to any parties, um, but just the, the friends, the uh, food, you know, in the dorm actually was actually pretty good. Hmm. 
in uh, one of them anyway. So we would travel over to um, actually West Holden had the best food. So we would eat over in Holden. Um, that would be it. The shopping, the bus was only a quarter to get on the bus and go to the mall. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed the experience. Okay. And your your major, as you said, you had a major. Most people didn't. What was your major? I majored in social relations, but that was done through James Madison College, which is almost like a residential type of college within the campus. Mm. Okay. And why did you choose that major? I like the ideal of the smaller campus, um, the smaller courses, and it was one of the majors that was geared towards pre-law without being pre-law. I also had a double major. It enabled me to have a double major with education. So that was another reason I used that program. Okay. And pre-law, what was your intrigue with the legal profession? Well, I had decided at eight years old I was going to be an attorney um, by watching Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show. Ain't that something. So although I only applied to one college, um, which was Michigan State, I looked at how I could um, get to law school Mm -hmm. without my dad having to take on the finances of that. Mm -hmm. So by having the dual major um, in education, my plan was to teach during the day and go to law school at night. Okay. Okay, so so that impact, and then did did uh, Cosby also have the impact of like I want to go to Hillman, and it's like ah, it doesn't exist. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I actually I did go on the Black College tour um, in the eleventh grade. Okay, but I used it as a field trip. Um, I always knew I wanted to go to Michigan State for my dad. I never thought of going to any other school. Okay. Okay, so you didn't even apply to any other school. Then. No other school. And they actually came to Renaissance and had on-the-spot admissions. So we were able to fill out our application, have it reviewed, and we found out immediately whether or not we were accepted. Mm. So you just knew. Yes. It was destined. Yes. <laughs> green and white. Green and white. Okay. Now, uh, of that green and white and the destiny, law school, afterwards, uh, you graduate from Michigan State in that do you roll right into law school what what was happening um, in your plan as you said the thought was to be a teacher but obviously you didn't hop in the classroom so I took a year off I graduated in 99 I didn't enter law school until 2000 um, mm-hmm. but I was working trying to figure figure out how I'm going to pay for law school Okay. Because I didn't want to do the year of unpaid teaching because I didn't want to take out any more debt. So I would have had to do a whole year of student teaching um, without having a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a year and applied again to only one school, which was um, Michigan State. At the time, it was Detroit College of Law at Michigan State, mm-hmm. where I worked. I worked there as a janitor during um, undergrad. Hmm. And there were a few instances where I really didn't like how we were treated as student janitors. And at that time, I made a vow to myself, I'm going to come back here someday. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I applied just there, and I got in, and the rest is history. So uh, when you said you worked there, was that work study, or was that just the job you had? The job we had, um, we worked at night. I think we started at 9, and we got off at 1 o'clock and mm. um, cleaning up the classrooms and vacuuming, vacuuming excuse me, the hallways, mm. um, the bathrooms, all of that. 
you were like, uh, what's the name? And uh, you were like, Vivica Fox and set it off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Luther's Janitorial yeah, Services. Luther's. <laughs> Luther's. <laughs> okay. And... And then that transition led to actually being in the law school. Uh, yes. Where, where back in East Lansing, where is the law school? In East Lansing, right on Michigan State's campus. Okay, so when you were out of school for a year, did you come to back to Detroit? Did you stay there in Lansing? No, I stayed in, in Lansing. Okay, so you, you lived kind of like just kept rolling. Right in that Lansing area. I did. I was there from 95, and I moved back here in, t- in 2005. Mm, 10 years of your life. 10 years. My only 10 years outside of the city. And right in the heart, in the, in the state capital. Yes. Okay. And law school, what was that like? And even before law school is uh, preparing for your to take the LSAT. What was that even like? I couldn't afford, I know, if I had asked my dad, I'm sure he would have paid for it. But at this point in time, I was really trying to be um, independent. independent. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford the prep class. So I studied at home, um, studied by myself. And that's what I would say, um, like re- Renaissance and undergrad, those things helped me prepare to um, be able to take things to the next level. So I studied, um, bought the little prep books and studied them, took the test, got in. Um, and that was it. I did teach. I did go into teaching for two years um, okay. while in law school. So I taught during the day. I actually got married. And I got married on a Saturday in the year 2000. Started law school that Monday. Started my teaching job that Monday. All of those things happened at one time. That seems like a lot to be uh Coming on the shoulders, you you definitely, as you say, independent. You grew up fast right there. Yes, very quickly. So into law school I go, and I've never tried so hard and been average and less than average. I mean, I was studying and getting Ds. Mm. And I said, where does this happen? So I had to, um, I taught for two years. I ended up on academic probation. Got a letter that said, if you don't get your grades up, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I had a 1.7. Hmm. And I decided I needed to let go of teaching because that wasn't my dream. So to sacrifice what I really wanted by holding on to something that I knew wasn't for me, it was a no-brainer. So yeah. I then um, stopped teaching, went to law school full-time. It took me four years because I initially started off as part-time. But by the end, I graduated with a 3-4. And not because I'm brilliant, but it was because I needed to put in the work so that I can make my dream come true. I had too much invested not to. Well, it's a lot of people probably watching this that that think about law school. And they often suggest that if you go through law school to work and law school is difficult. Please give some advice to the person that's preparing to go through law school now. My first piece of advice would be make sure that's what you want to do. Um, like I said, I never really thought about anything else. And looking back, I wish I had explored other careers because my first 13 years, I haven't, I didn't enjoy it. Mm. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So before you enter law school, I suggest you shadow um, someone, talk to them about what it's like. I think it's a good idea if you're going to specialize in something such as international law or maybe immigration, um, civil rights, those types of things. But just general practice, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Mm. 
Okay. And as far as just law school itself, what what state of mind should somebody be in to to take it on? Be ready to sacrifice. Um, you know, life as you know it currently is going to be over. It's a lot of reading, a lot of writing, um, a lot of logic. So you have to be ready to um, literally put your thinking cap on, think outside of the box. Uh, some of the, the, the tests that you have to take, you have to just be mentally strong because it's set up to weed you out. Mm. Mm. And when you say set up to weed you out, even what I've heard from certain people talking about the LSAT in law school itself, just even like the test, is so theoretical because to argue the positions in presenting it, it's not as much as this is right and this is wrong. It's more about proving things using the tools of logic that you talk about. That's absolutely correct. Um, but you will encounter people, professors included, that will try to conform your thinking um, and tell you that something isn't what it really is and you have to be able to justify your position. So in that role, um, is it uh, talking and a lot of writing? Uh, as you said, that you sometimes can be a little shy. Did it take you way more out of your shell uh, in law school to get those points across? Uh, what what position do you think uh, that the a person needs to be in even to prepare themselves for that? Or is it just a lot of reading to, to know how to justify those points? Initially, it's a lot of um, reading, but then it's all about your ability to present. I'm going to be honest. There have been times that I didn't necessarily know what I was talking about, but I sounded like I did. It's mm -hmm. about having that confidence um, and being able to persuade. And if people buy into what you're saying, you can be successful. Okay. Now, uh, with that, as you chose state, do you think that your journey would be a lot different if you were to choose a different law school? And if you were to have chosen that, do you think that even has an impact on uh, the law that you choose? I think for me, the reason my experience was so limited, I didn't really engage outside of going to class. I didn't join organizations. Um, I didn't really network. Part of that is because I was a newlywed, and then I had a, I had my son my first year in um, law school. No, my second year, excuse me, my second year in law school, I had my son. So I really didn't have time to get the full law school experience by just being a student. Mm -hmm. So that probably has a lot to do with my perspective. I don't know if going to another law school would have been different for me. I'm not a real big social person, so it could have just been my experience being limited because I did not venture out and take part in those things that they offered. Okay. And just from having colleagues and knowing that, uh, do you, have you seen benefits in being a little bit more social and taking advantage of some of those groups and everything? Absolutely. As I've grown older and um, moved around in the industry and not just this industry, it becomes very obvious. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So relationship building starting off very early is important. It could be your professor who has that network that he used to be a partner, he or she used to be a partner in a particular firm. 
that they may be able to call and get you that interview or write a letter of recommendation for you. So getting out um, and socializing and utilizing your resources, I think, is key. Okay. And now, after law school, and congratulations on that, and finishing the bar, um, even preparing for that exam can be, I'm guessing, a task as well, because that's a whole nother Oh, my gosh. I did not pledge um, a sorority, but I would liken studying for the bar exam like I was being hazed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I only wanted to take it once, and at that time, my son was two years old, and to have to leave him every single day for 12 to 14 hours a day, because I couldn't study at home, I had to leave, um, that was hard. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about eight weeks mm. yeah and it was it was a sacrifice uh to have to to not be able to talk on the phone to my friends i didn't listen to music in the car i'm listening to contracts and um negotiations and criminal law i'm listening to it on cds in the car mm. so that it just totally consumed my whole life but i only wanted to take it once so it was what you had a sacrifice that needed to be made yeah, a lot of people don't just get to take it once. A lot of people have to take it a couple cracks. Yeah, and there's no shame in that, but thank God I, I did it the first time because I I cried. It was it was rough um, not being able to, you know, my son saying he wants to come with me and I have to tell him no and he doesn't understand why. And just the fear because it all comes down to that two-day test. So everybody knows, you know, that you've graduated and they know that you're taking the bar and here comes the question How'd you do? And I, I wanted to be able to say that I'd passed it. That's a lot of pressure. And passing the bar, now you're an attorney. What are you doing? I am. You're an attorney and also like a, a, a sort of newlywed a, a mom and a mom of a two-year-old. What, what's, what's going on? Where, where are you headed now in trajectory? Um... From there, I knew I wanted to come back home. I was so ready to leave Lansing. Mm -hmm. um, it was just too slow. The, the pace was very slow. And at that time, I was still young, um, and I wanted to, to come back here. So I uh, started working in 36th District, uh, making $50 a day. I drove from Lansing to Detroit every day hmm. just to get the experience. I didn't do that for very long. I uh, then joined Legal Aid and Defender, where I worked uh, for about seven and a half years. Moved over then to friend of the court, and now I am with the prosecutor's office of Macomb County. And you also entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Yeah. That's what that's that's how we know one another. The proprietor of Detroit Sip, and and being. Let's talk a little bit about how your experience in law has strengthened the decisions you've made in owning a property, and providing a service-based business in that property? Um, I would say that early on, the legal training helped because I've never owned a business before. So trying to navigate the city of Detroit with its um, licensing and permitting and just the whole bureaucracy, uh, that it was very helpful because I was able to rely on my research or advocacy skills to kind, of, to kind of get to where I needed to be. Uh, people, I've found that people treat you how they perceive you. Um, so I walk in the office, I might have my suit on still, or I'm asking in, intelligent questions. They were, um, I guess, very helpful to me. 
and felt like that I wasn't wasting their time, um, that I was serious about starting the business and having an actual business plan to be able to show them. Um, I think that went a long way in terms of people being willing to um, invest their time in helping me move along the process. Okay. And that relationship and then being and navigating the court system as well and being an attorney, um, I would say you also, as an attorney, have to learn a lot of people skills. Yes, but you know, that comes to me, that comes from the way I was raised. It wouldn't matter. Um, I think that the, the janitor of the company and the CEO of the company, everybody should be treated the same because they everybody brings value to it. So mm -hmm. how you treat people is important because you never know who those people will become. I mentioned being feeling mistreated as a janitor in the law school and then to turn around and go to that very same law school and those people who were looking down upon us um, now have to refer to me as their colleague. Hmm. Yeah, that's deep. That's deep. Uh, the city, moving back to the city from Lansing. What was that move like? Is you said 05? Yes. 05. Kwame Kilpatrick was the mayor. Yeah, I was going to say that was a different Detroit. That was a different Detroit than today. Yes, it was um, fast paced, just what I thought I wanted. Um, but it wasn't. Looking back, um, you know, crime was kind of high. The education system wasn't what I remembered from Detroit Public Schools because I'm Detroit Public School K through 12. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of a shock. I'd always come home because my um, dad lived here, my family and my friends were here. Yeah, but um, visiting and living is like. Yes. Um, but I moved into um, my the neighborhood I live in now, and um, I, I don't have any issues with, with that piece of it at all. Mm -hmm. Just my the education system would probably be my biggest disappointment. How uh, now, um, how did your son like the transition and the move? Did he, was it one of those things like, oh, I'm going to miss all my friends? Did, does he, did the Detroit adjustment, uh, touch his heart differently what what was his feelings he doesn't even really remember um, mm. he was four when we moved here so mm. he doesn't really have fond memories of um, of, Lansing. of Lansing not at all okay so he identifies as a Detroiter absolutely and, <laughs> and my, my daughter politely reminds him that his birth certificate says Lansing not Detroit when Funny. he tells people he's from Detroit Funny. that means your daughter's like a real Detroit it's like you a fake Detroit yeah she's born at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit so <laughs> yes she gives him a hard time <laughs> okay daughter here uh what what has uh what has that journey been like? Uh, because you had a son, and now, and then have in having a daughter, uh, do do you see like a lot of the traits like yourself in your daughter? Is it different? Um, what's that experience like? I actually see a lot of myself um, in her, and uh, literally and figuratively, <laughs> mm -hmm. she hates when people say we look just alike, um, but her desire her academic desires and um those her work ethic she works at the coffee shop she could if she were old enough she could actually run it mm -hmm. um she's really taken on the the entrepreneurial part and that i can really um appreciate because i didn't see that growing up i when i grew up what we were told with good intentions but go to school get a good education and you'll get a good job no one ever told me that 
I could have my own business or I should start my own business. I just didn't hear that. Mm -hmm. So it never it never crossed my mind. So my children now get to see me work for myself and they get to see me work for someone else. So they can pick which path they want to choose. But my daughter um, actually has chosen and she started at 10 years old to start her own business and see it as a way of earning money so much so that my son who's five years older than her sometimes has to borrow money from her ain't, ain't that something <laughs> ain't ain't that something yes so with that entrepreneurial spirit in you what put the fire in you to start a coffee shop and and open a business yourself i fell in love with the coffee shop while i was away at school it's where i studied um, inside of the coffee shop as opposed to the library. I find that the silence in the library is too loud and it's distracting. And that was my first experience with a coffee shop in East Lansing because we didn't have coffee shops here in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I can't remember one. Um, and the smell of freshly brewed coffee, I find it to be relaxing. And that's why I um, wanted to bring something like that home. And I jokingly said for many years, if I ever won the lotto, I was going to open a coffee shop in Detroit. I didn't win the lotto because okay. um, I'm still working, but yeah, okay. that's how that started. Well, I may I may give you a scratch off, and we can see if I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that hundred dollars can go. <laughs> so, the the dream of bringing something that you appreciated from East Lansing, and did you have a vision of where you wanted to place it? Uh, did you have a vision of of the the reception of how Detroit would take it or was it just one of those things where it's you were driven to accomplish the goal of opening it I think it was just accomplishing the goal of opening it I never really thought about how people would receive it uh, it's close to the colleges because that's really who I wanted to bring out um, to experience I used to go to UAD, the track, and I, <clears throat> as I was walking the track, I would look at the fence, and I'm like, wow, they never leave outside of their gates. And that's not, in my opinion, the college experience. When you see college students, you see them with backpacks, you see them walking, you see them riding their bikes. And although I live probably 10 minutes, if that, away from two colleges, I don't think I could recall seeing a college student just in my neighborhood or in the area venturing out off off their campus. So Detroit SIP and it's opening right there on West McNichols. We record My Natural Hair and so much has happened in its opening almost close to a year to the date. And it just seems like it's been so much of a longer time. What has the experience been since the opening of it? And then we'll kind of go backwards because it took a while to even open up before the open. That's correct. So I will have one year exactly on November 17th. And this past year, there have been a lot of lessons um, for me personally, uh, but professionally as well. But I would uh, sum it up as a dream come true. I work there on the weekends for two reasons. Um, but the most important one is I want it to be a place kind of like friends where you walk in and people know your name and um, I see so many connections being made. Like on the wall, it says uniting the community one sip at a time. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. It's, it's more than just a cup of coffee. It is the place where I wanted to bring people together of all education levels, all income levels, different races, um, 
different purposes. I mean, tons of business deals go down in there and um, connections are made, people meet one another and I just really enjoy it. So I see it as it's fulfilling its purpose. And getting it open, that was a journey too. Uh, what did you learn yourself? Because I think the toughest thing in business is staying in business, but the staying in business is so much of a mental exercise, I find it. What have you learned about yourself in getting Detroit SIP open? I'm stronger than I think I am. Um, I think that would sum it up. But I also realized that nobody can do it alone. Oftentimes in the process, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't ask a question because I didn't know there was a question to be asked. So uh, that goes back to that um, networking and mentoring and, and socializing. You have, to, you have to do it because otherwise I don't think you one person can make it. Hmm. All right. So one year in. What's to come? What, what's happening now at Detroit SIP and what's going to come in the coming years as this becoming a staple in the community? Well, I want it to be known that Detroit SIP is there to stay. It's not, um, I'm not a foreign investor that just kind of looked on Google Earth and found a spot or read an article about the neighborhood being up and coming. I think as a neighborhood resident and a business owner, I think of it now more so than I did before as my responsibility to um, actively stay engaged and almost set the standard of how people can come into our neighborhood and do business. Hmm. And it, with that, do you have any suggestions and words of advice the same way that you gave to the person taking the bar? If they're, if they're looking and considering open, opening a neighborhood business as right now a lot of talk is going on in and around I mean really damn near your neighbors like your block alone has this been a lot of uh, conversation but thus far you've been uh, as as the great Marshawn Lynch would say about that action <laughs> I would advocate for ownership and I know it's not easy but if you can collaborate with people that you trust and most importantly that um, share your vision I think it's important for us to own spaces in our community. I uh, used to practice landlord-tenant law, and I always said I never wanted to be anyone's landlord, whether it's commercial or whether it's residential. Ownership is key. I was asked once, um, maybe about a year or so ago, about my fear of failure as it relates to the coffee shop. And my answer, not to seem cocky at all, but proudly I was able to say, I can't fail. There's no way I can fail. Failure to me would be having to sell it. But even then, when you look at it from an economic standpoint, that's not a loss. Mm. So I think if we could own properties um, in our neighborhoods, or even if it's not your neighborhood, if you could own it, there is so much more you can do. And you have less regulation over your business. So with with that, one of the things that I find key that I love about your business is close to what my family has done for years. And that's years of entrepreneurship in my family. And you use a lot of people in your family in the business as well. I love that. Can you speak a little bit about involving your family in your vision, in your dream, in your business? So they've been there from the very beginning. And it wasn't 
it honestly it wasn't my intention I was actually nervous about hiring family um, to, to work there because I was afraid of the I'm gonna just kind of take advantage of our relationship and not really put my best foot forward mm-hmm. that was my honest fear but I've never owned a business before um, but it has been the exact opposite uh, they look out for that business as if it's their own and the way they take care of it I can go to work because I again work full time um, and trust that my vision my dream is being protected anybody can learn how to make a cup of coffee you can go to school or you can even go on YouTube and learn how to do it but how you treat people um, that's most important to me and because they buy into that um, it's it's a win-win situation for us all thank you thank you as we wrap I got the classic Detroit is different questions the classic ones okay and then we'll be done so the first one what was your very first car Ooh, a what Ford. year make and model was the car and what year did you get it it was a 1994 Ford Escort wagon it was burgundy my dad got it for me in at the beginning of 1996 and her name was precious okay okay where is the first place you took precious oh on hubble and six mile to show it to my best friend <laughs> hubble and six mile your friend okay yes show sure enough you guys was like heading down the street to uh justin's records i think <laughs> <laughs> okay after that uh what's the other classic one you're the dj at the detroit fireworks at woodward and jefferson you get to play three songs for the crowd or yourself. What three songs are you playing? Hmm, back in the day is one of my favorite songs. Um, mm. Back Slick. in the day, a mod, the, yes. the rap song? Yes. Okay, because yes. okay, I'm like, back in the day. Yeah, back in okay. the day. <laughs> all right, all right. When all right. I was young, I wish I could be a kid again. Yep, okay. That's um, children's story that gets me going every time i like that okay because we don't want to yeah we don't want to put them to sleep Mm -hmm. um and i think i would go with epmd you got to chill okay we definitely know the hip-hop era you're from (laughs) yo mtv raps saturdays 10 o'clock fast fab freddy excuse me (laughs) okay and the last one if you could rename woodward after one detroiter who would it be and why one Detroiter. Hmm. I would call, uh, I would say Coleman Young. Okay. He was unapologetically pro-Detroit. And I think that it is important for us to, even more so now than ever, preserve that Detroit pride from Detroiters because it's not just a T-shirt or, you know, something that you wear. It's mm. just, it's just internal. Okay, okay. So I'm guessing uh, with that, your dad did have fond, fond uh, reverence for the good brother Coleman Alexander Young. Then absolutely, absolutely. He was um, a strong, outspoken, and even if you didn't agree with everything that he said, you know, defended his right to say it, and he truly fought for um, Detroit to be self-sufficient and to for us to get some respect. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This Thank was a great Detroit is different. Detroit is different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. 
Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.